Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. My guest is uh, Danny Tomzit. He's the CEO of FaceMe, and the website is faceme.com. And we're going to be talking about their uh, conversational AI system. So, Danny, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, Richard. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so tell me about FaceMe. What's the uh, premise of the company, and let's talk about the technology. Yeah, so FaceMe is a company that has had a focus all around emotional connection in the digital world. Um, and we do that through creating AI intelligent digital humans. Um, and our goal and mission really is to create experiences in digital that make people feel delighted and valued. And through that, obviously, uh, we get great outcomes, uh, whether that be sales or um, higher customer experience and retention with customers and things like that. So the in looking at the website, it looks like... Um... It's a chat bot, but it has a picture that's, that moves and looks pretty much like a human, and uh, it reads your emotions and interacts with you at a better level than a current chat bot does, right? Exactly right. So what's quite important to note is we aren't a chat bot company, although we are highly dependent on the chat bot. So you know, there's probably a, you know, it depends on what analysts you listen to, but it looks like there's over $27 million dollars um, Sorry, I'll, I'll redo that one. I should have put that back as well. Sure. There's over 27. Let me just repeat. So, um, yeah, so what's really important to note is we're not the chatbot uh, company. In fact, there's $27 billion uh, invested in those chatbot companies from the big tech players that we know of, Watson and Google Dialogflow and Microsoft Bot Framework. And what FaceMe does is, is a platform that sits on top of that and it's the best way to describe it is it's uh, AI technology that's able to take the text from chatbot and synthesize that in real time into voice, tone, emotion, and expression and rendered uh, on any device of choice, whether it be a browser, uh, mobile device, um, kiosks and stores, um, or even virtual reality and mixed reality. Interesting. Yeah, I've, you know, I, I call a lot of places and I've been... You know, I talk to chatbots just over text on websites and, again, calling like my pharmacy and stuff. And, you know, they're really one dimensional and they certainly can't interact. And I don't know, they're just they're pretty lame. So what what's your uh, how is your technology going to improve in the current experience? Well, there's a few things that we do. Obviously, some things are better done in chat as well. So we recognize that not every use case is for digital humans. A lot of transactional things, I personally prefer just using chat, right? What's my bank balance and things like that. Um, right. But when it comes to actually uh, coaching or advisory roles uh, or experiences where emotion actually can influence, so things where persuasion might be needed, um, or there could be something where empathy is needed because of a customer service inquiry. And the way that we help with that, obviously, is in the way that we would deliver it in the first instance. So if you think about a chatbot as like uh, me giving you a, a list of responses, like a script, and you know the best way to communicate that to the customer because you're looking at the customer, you're able to read the customer and use that script to present that well. The second part of that is because 
um, we have eyes and ears and other things we can bring in to our machine learning, we can make judgments that pass back into analytics that help organizations who are building those chatbots to make better decisions around how they write responses. A lot of uh, chatbots today are written on intent matching, and if they can't get the right uh, intent match, then they know they need to fix that, right? So confidence is low. Mm. The problem with a lot of chatbots is sometimes the intent is met, but we're not that satisfied with the answer. And the problem with that is we don't always write back and say, hey, that's probably not the right answer. Sometimes we even write, okay, and leave it, but feel just very dissatisfied. So with a digital human, we can see those things and we can actually map that out um, as to what the analytics is showing. We, uh, someone such as an administrator or whoever's managing the chatbot can actually um, make those changes and make it a much better experience. Yeah, I think people, I mean, I don't know, I don't, I don't expect that the chatbot is going to uh is going to be able to answer me. So if, you know, if I say something and it messes up the intent, I just like roll my eyes or throw my hands up. I have to get it. You know, that's yeah. my response. Cause I just feel like it's stupid. It's not going to be able to help me. So what's the point of, you know, or get me to a human. I'm, I'm, I don't want to talk to this thing. It's no good. You know? Yeah, exactly. Right. Sometimes the simplest way of thinking about it is as if you could have a supervisor sitting there watching every chatbot interaction and be able to see how customers are responding and being able to do that and then aggregating all that feedback into one central place where decisions can be made. So in those two areas, that's why digital humans adding so much value for our customers. One, because we're creating these amazing experiences that truly are making people feel valued and in that um, they're saying that you know 89% of users that interact with our digital humans actually say they prefer this experience over anything else in, in digital. 63% of people say in some of those use cases where they feel judged or embarrassed, they prefer digital humans over an actual person, um, which is really interesting. Well, yeah, and I was going to say, in what situations does chat or does interaction fall fall down and you know not work, and in what situations does it work better than uh, than humans. Yeah, I think um, very much when we talk about, uh, so when we think about chat and digital humans, that's one thing. And then if we think about digital humans and humans, that's another thing as well. Um, when we think about uh, the 63% uh, around judgment and embarrassment, there are plenty of use cases that we work with clients today where that is so applicable. So some of the ones, as an example, uh, we're doing work in mental health which is, uh, you know, this is a, a, a global problem that particularly with male um, uh, people that don't really feel comfortable talking about things that are going on for them. Uh, we've seen plenty of studies with um, PTSD for um, military and where they've used avatars and, um, and the ability for uh, returned soldiers to be able to communicate what's going on and, and they feel more comfortable talking about a lot of the things happening. And, and we've seen that just in um, general society where we've had this technology and test and there's been plenty of studies to support that. But even going into some of the enterprise customers we work with, things like we work with a lot of banks and just people um, looking at starting a business for the first time. And they're not really sure whether they feel smart enough to do it. They're not sure if it's a good idea they also don't want to look really stupid because they don't know anything about incorporation or things like that. So 
again, digital humans uh, some uh, a safe place with no judgment where you can get have a conversation, get the answers you need, and actually get some form of emotional connection through that because. What if the digital human then got excited about your business idea and told you that's fantastic, we think this is a great idea based on some of the analytics that I've got plugged into me, I think there's a gap in this market and away we go. So those are the kind of things where we're seeing more and more uh, application for digital humans where they actually are uh, a preference, at least in the first instance, uh, where people are worried about embarrassment and judgment. Um, another one is actually in uh, pharmaceutical too. Uh, that we've seen and again you know it's a funny story but you know you you don't know what cream to get <laughs> and so a digital human sometimes is a much nicer interface into asking those awkward questions where you don't have to talk mm. to someone in the store oh like if you were buying condoms or something like that or you know a, a yeah exactly like exactly or something okay. <laughs> exactly right huh. um what have you noticed uh i mean i don't know is it I guess that I'm a little bit skeptical. It seems like um, I don't know. I often get frustrated in talking to a chatbot or a digital human or whatever. And you know, even even when you talk to regular people, and they you can tell when they're reading from a script. You know, like if I call and I talk to someone from Malaysia, you know, they're like, "Oh, I hear that uh, you're having this problem. You know, what would be a resolution for you?" And you're like, "I don't know." Even with people, it seems like again you can tell when it's a script. So how hard is it to you know change an interaction with a digital human so that it's positive versus negative like what have you seen of the important things to get right to make it a good experience instead of a bad one um yeah it's a good question too so we we obviously um have spent years in research and development around a lot of these areas expectation is a a very interesting factor in how that influences um how you feel about an interaction as well you have high expectation that humans shouldn't be scripted um, yet uh, you, your expectation that a uh, AI actually should be on rails to a degree, right? There should be controls and they'll be limited to what they can do. In fact, some of the studies we've seen is where um, AI or digital humans have been uh, scored lower in customer experience and MPS was because they weren't able to give the same discounts that the call center staff could. And people mm. were figuring out ways to go around it um, because they knew they could talk to a person, twist their arm and convince them to give them a discount, even though that they probably shouldn't have been giving those discounts. That's the nature right. of humanity, right? <laughs> so, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. so there's some really interesting things around expectation that, that flow into that. And so when we think about expectation, we know that a digital human doesn't have to be human, right? That's, that's a big factor for us, right? We, what we're not trying to do is trick people. We're not trying to convince them this is a human and you don't know, even though our digital humans have really lifelike features and things like that, what we've done is we've actually made sure that it's very clear that they are not human. And the important factor with that is we realize that emotional connection doesn't need to come from fooling you. Um, in fact, if you've ever watched, I don't know if you've got kids, but if you've ever watched even something like yeah. Shrek or Cars, I mean, Lightning McQueen's far from human, but you still feel sorry for the poor guy when things are going on, right? And like, you're actually emotionally connecting right. into that film. And so what it is, is obviously the neuroscience around a lot of how we're connecting into these aspects of body language, expression, emotion, and everything that comes into that. We can portray that in a digital human in the right way 
without having to go off script. And so things like smiling, friendliness, um, remembering you um, are really important. So, mm. hey, Richard, it's great to see you again. Thanks for logging back on. How did it go with the XYZ that you've just done last time I spoke to you, right? And those are things that can be uh, very much logic programmed, but you still enjoy the experience. And that's what end users say. It's actually a much better experience than they've ever had on any website or anything that they've interacted with before. Um, the other yeah, thing of true. this is, to your point, is that chatbots are still fundamentally uh, dependency. So being able to understand what you need and provide a really good answer to that. It's still part of the chatbot world that needs to continue to improve. And we're working with organizations that have that at the high 80s and 90% now. Um, and the way that they go about doing that is they start more with a, um, a narrow domain and they make sure that they've got appropriate data from the call center or wherever they're gaining insights to what customers are asking and training that really well. So where you've seen chatbots, like in 2016, it was called the year of the chatbot, and, and there were terrible implementations all over Facebook and everything. And the reason being is it's the whole, that's the saying, you can't boil the ocean. They would go a mile wide and an inch deep, and therefore it'd be like, how can I help you today? And you could say anything, right? We're talking about telco businesses right. that have, you know, at any time, four to 500 different products. And then those products have probably had about three to four different brand names. And so, mm. you know, so customers are, and then customers don't speak the same talk as telco internal staff. So those are the times where you've been frustrated. But what if I said, um, like the business advisor, we have done some really great work with one of the banks, is actually just saying, actually, there are about 50 or 60 things here that people really start with when thinking about coming in to start their own business. And then what we need to do is then just capture the variations around that and spend, you know, half a year really training that well, but just doing that part well and creating an amazing experience in that. Um, and, you know, the ROI around doing that well is, is significant millions and millions of dollars of new business and retention and all sorts of things that feed into it. You know, it'd be interesting, you know, how like you talk to um, a company and, you know, the rep can't help you and they say, let me transfer you to a supervisor or, you know, it'd be funny if you set chatbots up that way. I mean, it probably actually is needed because, you know, like one chatbot's AI, for instance, probably can't handle everything. So you would need to string together like a series of AIs that have real niche domain specialty. So it'd be funny if you had an interaction with an AI and you asked it a question that said, I don't know the answer to that, but let me get you a specialist who could help. And it looks like it's transferring you, but it transfers you to another AI, which actually is a specialist in that topic. You know, its network has been trained on it. Yeah, and we're seeing that both with uh, AI and also uh, humans, right? So we have uh, digital humans that are out there that can deal with specific requests. And what we've programmed is a triage feature so we can actually connect to the right person in that moment. So we can see who's available, who's online, and actually bring them into the session at that time. And I think you're going to see customer service change that way so that as AI is taking more and more of the front end of the customer interactions, it's freeing up the specialists and the people that are able to support these customers on more complex issues or different things that they could, humans just add a lot more value to, um, we can actually um, hand that to them 
in seconds qualified, ready with all the information and you're not starting again, right? You're not going, oh, hi, it's Richard here. Oh, sorry, Richard, can you give me your seven-digit customer ID before I start? None mm. of that, right? So you're able to hand that through and go, Richard, it's really great. I've got all the notes here so I can see what you're trying to do, which is fantastic. Um, I'd love to help you with that. And and so you've, we've taken the hold queuing process out of it um, and we've also connected you to the right person with your needs being met, right? And that's that's a big part, I think, about how this augmented experience works as well with digital humans and humans. And then to your point, you've also got a lot of chatbot companies specializing in certain areas. So you might have one that's really focusing around um, lending and it could be another one focused around uh, just transactional, right? Like uh, credit card replacement um, or another one around payments. And so a digital human can actually sit on top of that and aggregate all that knowledge, but communicate it like it's one person with all that knowledge. And that's the other great mm. thing about what we can do. Yeah, that's true. That would help a lot. It is frustrating because you call and then you get to repeat stuff. I mean, even with automated systems, they'll say like, enter your card number, then you enter it in and then a live person comes on and goes, what's your card number? And you're like, yeah, I just entered it. What's wrong with you? Like there's no transfer yeah. of any knowledge or anything, you know? Oh, it's, and I mean, one of the fundamental, I mean, our whole business is based around valuing people, right? That's that's a big part of our mission and what we're using. There's nothing worse than a customer who's been a customer for years and you're still making them convince you they're a customer three times or two times before you even help them. Uh, it's mm -hmm. just, it's, it's horrible, but it exists everywhere in the world today. So there's so much room for improvement. This is where this type of technology can make a massive difference. What about the um, the image itself of the uh, you know the digital human? I've heard there's a thing called the the uncanny valley. It's probably more with actual robots, but if it looks too human, you know people get freaked out. Have you noticed any of that yeah. with the uh, the chatbots, or you don't have any problems? Yeah. No, no, yeah, absolutely. Uncanny Valley is, is just as real in the animated world, right? It's um it's something that we've seen in movies and. Maybe less so in games. Uh, we tend to adapt quite easily to games, but in movies, you know, we feel, um, you know, there's a lot of great examples, whether it be from Star Wars all the way through to the Polar Express um, with Tom Hanks, and everyone got a bit creeped out with that. So, you know, Uncanny Valley is is a real thing, um, and for us, this is a big part of the research and development is why. Um, it's also important to get the balance right of what is the cognitive abilities of a digital human today and what is the ability to animate and express along with the look. And it's those combinations of animation, look, and cognitive that you have to get right and balance. Otherwise, if you go super high quality, so we can go so high you can't tell the difference uh, from a look. Oh, really? of a digital human. Yep, you wouldn't be able, you just couldn't. It's just so photorealistic. The problem is then you look at the animation and because this is all happening in real time, so movies and, and CGI, they all get to do motion capture and they, you know, make sure that everything is, uh, you know, post-rendered and offline rendering so they can, they can make sure that they get their animations almost to the most realistic uh, human-like behavior that you, you can get. In real time, you've got AI doing that literally in the moment. So having to decide how to speak, 
how to smile as uh, something positive has been said. Eyebrows go up when more inquisitive or actually head tilting down slightly and listening in an empathetic way. All those decisions are happening in real time. And we are easily the best in the world at this. Um, and yeah. it's still not good enough to take a photorealistic um, look with that current animation ability. And we've seen competitors and others try this and their feedback's been really negative. And, you know, that's that's where you've got to get that challenge. And the third one is the cognitive. So even if you could animate really well and you can, and you look really great and no one can tell the difference, even though that's not the goal, but even if that was the case, the cognitive abilities still seem off. Um, and so you're like, why aren't you talking normal? You just look like a person, but now you're just weird. Uh, is, is this your first language? What's going on, right? Um, yeah. And so th those three things have to come together in balance. And so what we've done a lot of is making sure we get that balance right. And as we've been improving the cognitive and animation, real-time animation abilities, we've been improving, uh, obviously, the look as well. And we'll continue to drive that through. But I will make this point, and that is the goal here is not to fool people that digital humans are humans. Uh, what customers are saying, though, is they do appreciate the quality and the experience when you have that ultra-realistic um, qualities coming through, right? So um, we can provide micro-expressions and things like that, and that definitely does help build into the experience. So we'll continue to drive that quality as a company, but we'll always make it very clear that these are digital humans and not trying to fool you that they're real humans. Yeah, that's weird. So you say things like micro-expressions and empathy and all that help, but in terms of looks, you don't want it to look too, too human. So it's a strange balance, I guess, you have to, uh, you have to get between the two, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And there's, there's plenty of things that you can do, even once you've got the ultra-realism happening. You can still apply uh, a lot of things in language and uh, you know, background visuals and other things to make that very clear uh, that this is a digital human as well. Um, it's much harder for those who are doing something like voice. So you would have seen Google Duplex on um, uh, on stage at uh, I.O. And, mm -hmm. you know, sit in appointments and you can see that, like, the, where the direction they're going, it's going to become increasingly hard to know who's on the other end of the phone um, because there's no visual. Something we can do well with digital humans is actually make that very clear because of the visual element. Interesting. So what's... Um... What's your look uh, outlook on the industry? Are we going to be, I mean, is it going to be like an invasion of the chatbots or these digital humans everywhere and, you know, everywhere we interact with people? Or what do you think is going to happen first and what's going to take time? Yeah, I think, um, so our view is that over the next 10 years, and I think the analysts are right here, there's, you know, we've seen a digital first strategy everywhere, all over the world and across the large enterprises all the way through to small and medium business. And, what that looks like is less and less interaction is going to be with humans uh, as they're trying to move more customers through digital channels. Uh, so the prediction is only 15% of our interactions will be with people in 10 years' time. Um, everything else will be through digital. And a big influence on that will actually be these conversational interfaces, the chatbots or all the other names that go with it, virtual assistants, digital assistants, natural language processing, understanding, all those types of things. It will have a massive uh, influence on how 
more and more of that traffic will start going through digital. And we believe that digital humans will, will obviously play a big part in that um, as some of those use cases can't be done just with chat. A good example would be we work with organisations with their stores or we work in airports. Uh, you don't really want to go to an airport and start typing on a keyboard, right? Your ideal experience right. is you walk up to a, uh, either a private kiosk or a pane of glass and you can actually just say, hey, I'm just trying to find where is the baggage for this flight um, and, and away you go, right? So those are the types of things where digital humans create an amazing visual experience. It's convenient, frictionless, things like that. But also I think um, some of the big disruption coming is still going to be in mixed reality um, and, and, and virtual reality. I think um, what what I believe is the mobile phone could be significantly disrupted um, by this technology and time with wearables and other things where everything starts becoming highly conversational in that world. Mm. The way we interface between man and machine will just be all through conversation. And we've seen it in our homes and, and to a degree with Alexa and Google Assistant and Google Home, but um, but this is, I think, would be another level on that where the visuals now presented wherever we are, wherever we need. Um, and so that's that's going to be an interesting change. That, that's obviously got time before that happens, but um, but that is definitely something that I think a lot of people are uh, predicting and expecting. Um, and again, digital humans will play a big part in that in that shift because it's highly visual, and you can imagine online shopping or connecting. Um, you know, you want digital humans will be uh, present in e-commerce and retail, healthcare, education, all through these various interfaces and channels. And that's not just limited to, you know, MR and AR and, and VR. It's going to be much sooner than that, as we already are using devices that digital humans can can exist in that world. Interesting. Okay. Um, so, uh, any companies that uh, that we know of that are using your specific technology, or is that proprietary? Yeah, we're, we're obviously got quite a few um, amazing companies that we are working with that we're not allowed to talk about, but we have a few that are also amazing that we are allowed to talk about. So, um, some of the ones that you can find on our website, uh, you'll see UBS Bank uh, has done just a phenomenal job around an augmented experience where you um, can meet with one of their wealth advisors. And they've actually, what we did is we actually did a clone, which is uh, quite unique uh, in the thinking, which is taking their chief investment officer, uh, Daniel Colt, and making him available uh, in the room uh, with uh, the advisor. So with the customers coming in, they've got access to both Daniel Colt and the advisor. And behind Daniel is obviously some very smart work um, that uh, UBS has done with uh, IBM Watson uh, and their own team around bringing forward you know, market insights, conversational understanding, um, and it's actually all done in uh, Swiss German as well, which is pretty exciting. Exciting for us because uh, we built all our machine learning and the way that we've done that, we wanted to build it in a way that was uh, multilingual. So. It was really exciting for us to have our first non-English uh, digital human actually working uh, in the real world. So that was that was quite neat. I guess yeah. What, what, yeah. What are some of the possibilities of uh, digital humans that people may not think about because they're not in the industry? Like one that just occurred to me is you know a digital human that can speak a uh, hundred different languages right there on the fly, so it can communicate with you no matter how you know you'll speak a language to it. Let's say you're in an airport. And you speak uh, I don't know, Malaysian, it can just 
automatically change right into Malaysian and converse with you. And a person could never do that. Yeah, exactly right. Um, so already we're seeing that in airports. We're working with a, a number of airports around the world, um, even some of the large hotel chains, you know, being able to help with uh, multiple languages as people walk in and they've got um, a digital human on either a kiosk or somewhere that's really accessible that they can go ask questions, they can actually check in and check out. Um, so, you know, there's so many of those language-based ones that, that are quite exciting and uh, and we've got plenty of those in play at the moment. Um, you know, I've touched on it before, but I still think there is something um, that is very dear to our team and we're very passionate about this, which is how are digital humans going to be used to... Um, influence society in a really positive way. And one of the areas that we, we just fell in love with was around some of the healthcare areas um, that digital humans can be used. One, one particular one that I'm super passionate about is, um, you know, I've got four kids and unfortunately my kids have had to go into, um, into hospital for various reasons. And when kids are in hospital, for them, there's just so much anxiety and you've got roster swaps with nurses and doctors so you don't have a lot of continuity. One of the things that we're working on is like how do we create a really fun character um, that kids can have available on an iPad or any device that they're able to actually interact with and talk with but actually that character can also um, weave in questions just to get a better understanding of, of what's happening for the child. You know how you know if the medication's making them feel nauseous, or all those different things that um, not every child in those situations feel comfortable telling strangers. Um, and so, being able to bring these things into um, into reality with digital humans that can do all those things today, but actually apply it to actually help in those areas is, is really exciting for us. So we're super passionate about that. And I mentioned before, mental health. It's such a it's such a, um, an area that needs um, to crack open this whole problem that we have where we hold everything in and we're not sharing stuff mm. that's going on. Uh, it's almost like this taboo thing right now that needs to just be broken open so people know that it's okay, how they're feeling, what they're experiencing. And you can have you know teams of psychologists and, and people that are able to um, support the power of the digital human to understand and provide advice, but also connect, like we talked about, connect to the right people um, that can actually help that individual um, just because they're able to feel comfortable of just talking about what was going on. Yeah, it's true. It's funny what you say about characters. You know, I have three kids and, you know, it's funny, like you'll see like Dora the Explorer on a lunchbox and you somehow feel like, better about it you know like you want to buy it it's weird like that like that character is your friend somehow <laughs> and how could they be or you know if you see like the minions you know from despicable me you just you like them even though they're not real it's weird how um you know those things can have power and uh and influence you in a positive way you know yeah exactly right you're totally getting it um so yeah this is uh this is why we love what we do because you know we just we're blown away by even just how well received um, people are to the experience and uh, you know it's taken a long time to get it to this point where the technology and the balance of things like Uncanny Valley and all these things we've talked about have come together and uh, creating really great outcomes which is um, which is what it's all about really. Well it's great so what's the best way for people to interact with your company will they be sent to a chat bot or should they uh, 
go to the website or talk or how should they get in touch? Yeah, so right now, um, so we're uh, we're still an early stage company, so we we selectively work uh, with customers, um, and uh, based on obviously knowing that we can actually solve their problem, we can create real value for them, and uh, and also depends on you know the difficulty of the challenge and and what those costs are. So it's it's case by case. So the best way to get in touch with us is uh, through our website. Um, and uh, and the team will, will, will be immediately in contact and be able to run through and get a better understanding of what you're trying to do and we can help qualify that for you. Okay, very good. So faceme.com, that's where to go. Okay. That's the one. Well, that's, yeah, that's great. It's been a good conversation and uh, it would be ironic if the whole time you were a chatbot, not a human, but I know that's not the truth. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually a common joke too. That <laughs> Every time I walk in the room, right. people poke me sometimes yeah. and go, Okay, this is the real Danny. All right. Oh, man, I thought it was being creative. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, great great talking to you, and obviously thanks for the opportunity to, to share our story. All right, hold on one second. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.